Rob Parker on the way in saying that Steph Curry never hits big shots. I kind of think he pulled an interesting number there to back that up. We'll get into that and much more around the NBA. C.J. Watson, who played in the league for a long time, played with the Warriors, is in studio with us. Willie's back in just a couple of minutes. We got uh, Memphis out to a 26-19 lead on the Lakers with about 90 seconds left in the first quarter. So uh, time to break down some NBA. Also time to mention, talk about C.J. Watson's fourth book that is out. So we'll get that in a couple minutes. We were just talking about Draymond Green and oh. the suspension. <laughs> I mean, this is this is one of the – it's interesting because in the NBA we've had these, you know, over the course of history where the commission and the league has to make decisions and it can alter series. Yeah. What do you see? DeMontis is on the ground. He's grabbing his leg. Draymond said, hey, I had no other choice. Yeah, I feel like uh, Draymond had no choice. I feel like if he would have stepped down anyway, he would have stepped on him. So regardless of what the situation was, he's going to get stepped on anyway. Um, but uh, it's Draymond, so uh, he's going to get suspended. <laughs> so explain that. Why? Just because Cause Dumar said it. Just because it's history. I mean, uh, Draymond is used to getting calls like this and being in these type of situations, so that's what it's called for. I mean, he pushes the line. He walks that line. Yeah, I mean, he does it. I mean, that's why he's so valuable to the Warriors because he's a, a agitator. He's a aggressor, and uh, you know, he he's physical, and uh, that's what he he stands up for his beliefs. And you know, sometimes it hurts you, and sometimes it helps you. So tell me if I'm wrong on this one. I was saying earlier that you know Steph and Clay could be looking at the situation like Draymond. We're getting old. Yeah, yeah. We all, and he's getting old too. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's younger, but he's you know he's he's looking older. Like we only have so many of these opportunities. Can do you think they actually get mad at him, or they kind of have the rationale that you're throwing out there, like, well, this is what Draymond is? I mean, I feel like they, they think they know that, you know, this is what he does, this is what he is. Um, at the end of the day, you love him or you hate him. When he's on your team, you love him. Uh, when he makes mistakes like this, uh, I guess it's not good for your team because he's a big part of that team. Um, but, like, they're, I think they're, this is the end of their run right now. If they lose this series, they're done. Think? They break the team up for sure. They're going to break it up? I think so. So who goes? Draymond's the first one to go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, that's an easy call. I mean, Do you think he knows that? I think so, yeah. Okay. For sure, yeah. I mean, they only could pay so many players. Drone pool, contracts uh, starts to kick in next year. So all these things are going to factor into who's, who, who they're going to keep. Who were the enforcers you played with? Like, who were the tough guys on teams that you played on? Uh, David West, Joakim Noah, um, Stephen Jackson, Matt Barnes. So, I mean, a, okay. lot, of, a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stephen Jackson, Matt yeah. Barnes, all the smoke. Right, yeah, yeah. Those are my guys. Yeah. So, <laughs> what, what, what I was going to say, what happens in situations? Because some of those guys you mentioned are, are also – and Draymond's a leader. Yeah. But they're also leaders. So, like, who approaches them like, bruh, the line. You just got to watch it because now you're starting to cost us. Or could no yeah. one step up to all those guys? No, I think so. I mean, there's the players that they definitely respect and coaches also. But I think it's uh, Steph will probably, you know, talk to them and, you know, calm down a little bit. We need you. Uh, you're more valuable to us on the court than off the court. So I'm sure they're going to have those talks with them. What about Steven Jackson? Uh, Jack, nobody really can control Jack, but you know, uh, it's, there's players like Baron Davis controlled, you know, Al, uh, the coach here and there, but mostly it was a collective thing, not, not one person thing. <laughs> right. What about Matt Barnes? Same way. They're all just a collective, you know, it wasn't just one person. It was just like a group of people, you know, explaining to them that you're better off on the court than off the court being suspended, you know, and just giving away, giving away money. So are you surprised by what Sacramento's done? Uh, no, no, no. I think the the coach is the number one thing that they brought in to change the the culture of the team. I think that's the main thing you need when you have a young team like that, and they bought into the system. And uh, he's comes from a winning tradition, so I mean, and he's coached great superstar players. That always like I hear that all the time, and I'll tell you where I hear it a lot. Right, uh, you're a Vegas guy, so you're familiar with UNLV. Yeah. And over the years in basketball, since Tark, there's been moments, right? Yeah, yeah. There's been moments. Football's had a tough time, 
And every time there's a – most of the times there's a new coach in. Yeah, yeah. Culture. Yeah, yeah. Culture. So go back to Sacramento. What does that mean? And I wonder what player – like when players hear stuff, are they like, what are you – you're saying I'm a loser? I have a losing mentality. Like I, I just – I wonder how that goes down yeah. in switching the culture like without saying like, you guys are losers. I mean, basically, that's what you were. You were losers until uh, <laughs> until I got here, until I gave you the winning mentality. I All mean, right. also, it's about buying into the system, uh, not about self, about team, you know. And that, I think that's what makes uh, the greatest teams, you know, be successful. We talk, You're talking about toughness. We're talking about those old school enforcers and the comparison to today. I want to talk about Las Vegas for a minute because yeah. I think the guys that are coming out of Las Vegas right now, right, we're gonna the draft is coming up, so we're all anticipating where Julian Strother is going to fall. Right. Here's a wing from Gonzaga, savvy game, in and out. He can, he's got great D. Mm-hmm. One of the guys that I believe you played against in high school, you went to college around the same time in the NBA, I'll never forget, and I want to say it was during all the Smokes interview with Allen Iverson, they asked him mm-hmm. who was the toughest guy to, yeah, yeah. for you to ever, and he goes, Marcus, yeah. Marcus Banks. <laughs> You guys come from a tough era here in town. They yeah. come from an era where that type of play was allowed to happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, the difference from now and then, and also the toughness coming out of Vegas, have we gotten away from it on a nationwide, from from the toughness to the savvy? And that's why when we see someone play hardcore ball, they sort of frown down on it? Um, I mean, I think it's just the way you grew up. I think for me and Marcus, we grew up in an era, like you said, it was more about toughness uh, growing up in the – in the hood, in the projects, in the inner city, I think that's a big, big difference. Uh, you, you learn how to get through and fight through certain situations in your life. And um, like I say, today the, the game of basketball has definitely, definitely changed. It's more up and down. It's more fast paced, more threes, and uh, you can't really touch people. So I think that's a big difference too. And and you talk about growing up in the hood back then. I mean, you you played at the original. Uh the Gorman, right? You, yeah, play, you played on, Gorman, on Maryland yeah. Parkway where yeah. you walked in and the, and you were on the baseline. And yeah. those were the days where <laughs> you had to buy the Durango Gorman tickets two, three weeks in yeah, advance. Yeah, and it was sure, up yeah. to the rafters. It looked like a middle, a junior high gym. They were yeah. called junior highs back then. Um, you missed those days? Oh, yeah. Those days are definitely fun. Uh, I mean, I wish I would have went to the new school, but it's definitely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Pretty nice. A little yeah, upgrade. Yeah, yeah, a little upgrade. But uh, it's definitely uh, it's a home court advantage for sure. Uh, being It's kind of like a Duke Blue Devils uh, arena. Yeah. So uh, we definitely had a lot of battles in there and, uh, you know, love that gym and love that old campus. When you think about those days and you think about the Jeff Wagonsellers, the Hank Girardis, the Gene Carpenters, the mm-hmm. Alarocks, the Tony Hopkins, and the players that they produced. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm still friends and close with Eric McCauley, right? Mm-hmm. I, I I know Ralph Sadat on yeah, yeah. on Twitter on uh, Facebook, but right. I mean some of these guys that that came out of Las Vegas. Is there anyone you're surprised that t- wasn't playing alongside you? Uh, I mean, I, I feel like there's a lot of people that uh, should have been in the NBA or at least went to college. Uh, I feel like I just had a different advantage. Uh, I was just harder worker I mean not to say they weren't hard workers I just you know didn't want to give up I, I knew my parents always taught me about getting to college and going to college and that was my main goal because I knew they couldn't afford it so I had I knew how to find a way to get there once again speaking with former Gorman star NBA player CJ Watson here in the house on ESPN Las Vegas with Cofield and Company all right so let's talk about the book you mm-hmm. were in to talk about the previous three you got another book out uh, CJ and his magic socks what's it about uh, so it's about CJ uh, traveling to, to Italy. I was fortunate enough uh, when I was 16 to travel to Italy with my mom and uh, just see a different culture, see new experiences, try different foods, try different language. Um, and uh, it's about him uh, having these magic socks who he thinks uh, really helps him play basketball better, but it really doesn't. It's his hard work, it's his dedication and practice that makes him better. So talk about the motivation for writing the books and then who it's aimed two and four. Uh, just kids, kids uh, that look like me, that uh, that play basketball, that you know, uh, want to have big dreams and want to be successful in life. 
What else are you doing with it? Are you doing speaking engagements? So is there engagement with kids? Uh, yeah, I go to different schools, elementary schools, read to the kids, uh, tell them about my life, uh, just inspiring kids just to be better, to dream big, and just to work hard. We were talking about the, the whole angle of kids these days. Yeah. yeah. Right? And, and I always defend younger people, and I think there are some things that are different, but I don't think they're wimps. I don't think they're entitled. <laughs> life is tougher in a lot of ways because of social media. Yeah, yeah. What do you encounter? Like, what do you um, encounter with kids where you're like, you know, they they need some advice, but they're going to be okay. It's not yeah. this is not a a terrible lazy generation that's coming up. I mean, it, it is kind of lazy generation. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but uh, now I feel lazy, <laughs> or, lazy or entitled. Both. I mean, they're all. I mean, I feel like I don't know. My kids grew up different than I did, so I feel like they're entitled and have more than I had. But I mean, it's not like I hate them for that. But it's just, <laughs> it just is what it is. Uh, I just think kids lack confidence these days and lack support. I think that's the biggest thing, really. Uh, when I go to elementary schools and see kids who are, you know, not confident in themselves and not uh, being supported by their parents or you know their 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 circle. Do you think the lack of like? The lack of confidence could be tied to the laziness, which is kind of a mean word. The fact that yeah. they're not out as much as they were yeah. playing sports. I think it's a little bit of everything. I mean, with the with tablets and phones and social media, they're probably inside a lot more. Um, they're not playing, um, you know, outside like we were as kids, just going out there riding bikes with kids and being outside all day until the streetlight came on. So yep. they're inside all day and on phones and talking to their friends, people across the world that don't even know. <laughs> now let me ask you this. How much it in all sports – with baseball, it's going to be legion or club. Mm-hmm. With basketball, it's AAU, right? With football, seven on seven. Yeah. How much is the one sport mentality to blame for that? Because back then, like, yeah, yeah. you know, even when I raised my son, but when you were young, when I was young in the 70s in Vegas, yeah, yeah. you were playing three sports. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, yeah. I, I, Jamal Brimmer, right? Yeah, you remember yeah, Jamal yeah, Brimmer, yeah. Durango? He's one of yeah, the greatest yeah. athletes of all time. Wadey yeah. Perkins from Green right. Valley. They all yeah. played different sports. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's big uh, for now. For me, I think I, I pushed my daughter just to play one sport. Because you can only do one thing so many times. I feel like it's a, it's a hassle to get her to basketball practice and volleyball and then softball, whatever. But uh, I just keep her in one thing and just keep her focused on that. And uh, if she does good, she does good. But in high school even, yeah, you know what I mean? Like the, 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 the day of the three-sport athlete, is it to me, seems to be gone. I get it. Like yeah. if she's focused on basketball or volleyball, and then that's what they're playing club. But – they're not even doing three sports in high school anymore to represent their, their school. I mean, I mean, for me, it's hard because you only have so much time in a day because all these sports are year-round now, which, like you just said, with yeah. club and AAU. Like, as soon as high school is over, AAU starts. Yeah. And when AAU stops, high school comes back and starts back in the summertime. So when do you play another sport? <laughs> right. C.J. Watson with us in studio, ESPN Las Vegas, on this Wednesday. Willie Cofield. Boy, I get stuck on the whole the whole kids thing because I want to defend them. <laughs> but, but I do – back to the sports angle – um, it is important to play sports one because you get exposure to other kids. Yeah, yeah, you have to learn how to lose and how to how to yeah, compete for sure. Like, do you see a lack? You said a lack of confidence, but a lack of kind of desire to compete. Yeah, I think so. And uh, just uh, you learn so many life lessons in uh, in sports. You learn team team chemistry. You know, hard work, like you said, winning, losing, and uh, I think sports teaches kids so many life lessons, and uh, it's good for them to play sports. I, I wanted to ask you before when you talked about growing up when I brought up Marcus when it, when you were going to the old Gorman mm-hmm. did you live around in that vicinity where'd you live where'd you grow up uh, I grew up on the west side in Doolittle okay Doolittle yep Doolittle. Okay. so his I always call it, see when people say the side 
I go, no, that's actually historic West Las yeah, Vegas. Yeah, I said the West Side. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, of course. Yeah. We we yeah, say yeah. the West Side, but <laughs> when I'm talking to people, I say that's that's historic West Las yeah, Vegas yeah. back right. then. And, yeah, for sure. You know, uh, I remember when Tom uh, was it Thomas McTire was he he yeah, yeah. he, he mm-hmm. was zoned for Clark, but yeah. he he was in an unfortunate situation in his house, and he and Alan Bev. Ad- sort of adopted him, became the guardians, and everyone brought up the recruiting scandal. Right, but they yeah. didn't understand his backstory, and there were a lot of stories like that. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. When you come to the West Side, there's a lot of stories like that. Guys who uh, didn't have the the means to go to a certain school, but then you know zone for a different school, and yep. somebody takes them in, and they you know have different opportunities. I thought one of the greatest stories to come out of the West Side, played for Tony Hopkins, was Michael Johnson. Mm, yeah, yeah, I heard of him. He's a little older than me, but I heard yeah, him. Yeah, I had to – let's put it this way. They Tony Hopkins was protective of him. Even after games, they would not – he would not let reporters talk to him. Oh, really? I wanted to do a one-on-one at the time when I was getting my start at the Las Vegas Sentinel Voice, which yeah. at the time was state's only black newspaper. Mm. Tony had to get permission from – certain people right. for me to drive into the neighborhood <laughs> with him. Oh, yeah, yeah, he said, sure, hey, yeah. I'm bringing this dude. Yeah, yeah. And we and went up to Michael's report and did an yeah. apartment and did the one-on-one. Yeah. Definitely, if you're going to the States, you definitely need uh, yeah. permission. <laughs> <laughs> CJ and his magic socks. Uh, this is on the heels of uh, three other books. Your first book was CJ's Big Dream. People can get the book where? Uh, CJPins.com or on Amazon on the book title. Okay. Stick around for a couple more minutes. Yeah, for sure. We'll talk some more NBA, talk yeah. a little college basketball. CJ Watson, former NBA player, is in studio with Cofield and Company. Miss any of the show? We've got you covered. Head to LVSportsNetwork.com and go to podcast to listen to all of your favorite LV Sports Network shows anytime from any place. Dan Duva on the call there is uh, VGK Falls in game one of the playoffs against Winnipeg 5-2-1. C.J. Watson knows all about Major League Sports, former NBA players. Got another book out, his fourth book, C.J. and his Magic Socks. You can get it up on Amazon. What's it like for you as a guy who uh, grew up around the Vegas area to now see 20,000-seat arena with a mm-hmm. NHL team. We got football. Uh, we're almost getting picky now. We're on the right. air. We're like, well, we don't <laughs> want this baseball team. Right. We want another one. What's it like for you? It's fun, man. I love seeing it. I love anything uh, about Vegas. Um, I'm kind of sad because I wanted to play for a Vegas NBA team, which I know they're going to get soon. So um, I'm definitely going to support it, and I uh, you know, love to see the city keep growing. I know that there's – it's, I, I don't know what kind of money it takes, but if you were ever given the offer and you could, you know, fund somewhere or another, finance it or mm-hmm. be a part of it, or it, I mean, would you ever have an interest to be in front office part owner or mm-hmm. some sort of structural part of an NBA team in Vegas? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I definitely would love to be like a minority order, um, but uh, definitely love to be in the front office also. Uh, my dream is to be like a GM, yeah. uh, run a, you know, a championship contending team and, uh, you know, just try to take it for as long as I can. Uh, are you closer with LeBron? Because I got a feeling he's getting the biggest franchise. I need to tap in with LeBron somehow. Somebody connect me with him and uh, let me let him know I'm ready. I'm applying for the job right now. <laughs> so let's talk about uh, local sports over the last 25 years because you guys were going back and forth rapid fire. Um, we were just talking about Robert Smith. Mm-hmm. And we're all gigantic fans of Robert and you know rooting for him to get better. And he's one of yeah. your guys. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He was my mentor uh, back at Gorman. Uh, like I said, one of the guys that first taught me how to box. Uh, taught me a lot about basketball, uh, the program, and uh, just little tricks and of the trade uh, when playing basketball. And like I said, he taught me so much, and I uh, just hope he gets better. Because he was, a, uh, to clarify, he was Robert Smith was an assistant coach for he came back to Vegas after his NBA career, but he was an assistant coach under Jeff Wagenseller, some of the greatest Gorman basketball teams, following the run from the late 70s with Danny Tarkanian and Mike Brown and all those guys that won championships. The next great run was late 80s, early 90s with uh, – 
CJ's team and then mm. on into the late 90s and, and, and now where they're at now. But it, it was almost like decade by de- decade by decade by decade. The Gorman-Durango rivalry, I, people don't appreciate it enough <laughs> what it was. It was incredible. Yeah, incredible. It, was, it was hard to explain, man. I think you just had to be there uh, just to kind of like witness it, especially at the Gorman gym because, like you said, there was so many seats available. And uh, if you weren't there early enough, uh, you know, you weren't getting a seat. You were just probably standing outside and just, just, just waiting for things to happen. The old gym, Steve, I want you to picture. You, you walked in and it, there was a stage at the other end. Junior <laughs> highs were built this way. But the bleachers were those old school wooden bleachers where at the bottom it was a flap with a handle. And you had to, yeah, okay, ready, push. And everybody pushed it in and pulled it out. Those were were the bleachers media there were people like closer than you and i Mm -hmm. behind us on press row you're sitting there tuck (laughs) i i used the the first time i ever went in there i was a little boy aileen voison who was at the las vegas sun at the time and now she i think she retired as an nba writer up in sacramento but she took me in there as a little boy in the 70s so yeah that's a historic place so we're kind of feeling the, the local flavor now over at unlv i was just telling you during the break the new football coaches are really trying to get in with local high school recruiting and I was asking you you know going back to when you were coming out of high school mm-hmm. you had an interest in UNLV and no one really came looking for you and then you wind up landing at Tennessee so how that whole thing to come together uh they just didn't recruit me at UNLV I mean I wanted to stay home I wanted to wear the the red and the and the black and the and the white uh it was my favorite color is red so uh, I love Tark uh, I love the shark I was actually a UNLV ball boy when I was little so oh, okay. it kind of would have it would have fit well but uh it just didn't happen that way you know I had to go to Tennessee <laughs> Drives you nuts. All the misses over the years, you know. I was just, I was just telling you, know, you guys during the break. Dalton Kincaid is a crazy story. Right. This, yeah. this kid at tight end is going to go, t- in, you yeah. know, top two rounds in the draft, and he was at Faith Lutheran, and nothing. UNLV didn't look at him. He wound up going to San Diego, bounces to Utah. Now in the NFL, we also we hit on Lindy LaRock, mm-hmm. and you lit up a little bit. What were you saying about her? Yeah, yeah she. Uh, I mean, you don't expect anything less from her. Her dad is a great coach, and the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And uh, you know, it's great to see her doing so well. And I'm sure she's going to get an even bigger job somewhere else if she continues this. Oh, watch it, Will, Willie's. <laughs> Willie's a very big I mean, defender of Vegas. Hey, uh, she's not leaving. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm very, I'm very <laughs> defensive about that. But what I, my favorite thing, my favorite story to tell about Lindy, it's not necessarily a story. It's just the vision is is when you go into Durango's gym, whether it was a Durango basketball game or a a summer basketball event or the Reebok holiday prep, is Lindy would walk around, she'd have a t-shirt with the the t-shirt from that event, but she'd have basketball shorts where the bottoms met the tube socks (laughs) and her high tops, but... Her handles, she'd walk around, and then all of a sudden she'd stop and talk to someone. You'd look up, and she's talking to Lute Olsen or Dean Smith or you know, one of right, the yeah. basketball players. Really? And she, but while she's talking, she's dribbling between her legs. She's right. just talking <laughs> in her hand. Unreal. She was wild. She was, she's just, I, I just, uh, I love Lindy. She's, she's awesome. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so what else do you have cooking besides uh, the book? What else are you working on? Uh, I just have a, just the book. Uh, I have a foundation for kids here in Vegas, put in a free basketball camp every year, uh, out of school program also. And uh have an essay contest each year. Um, and then uh, angel investor and um, just entrepreneur. Just uh, Best way to find out about the foundation? Uh, quietstormfoundation.org. Okay. And again, remind people what the book is, what its title is, and where they can get it. CJ and his Magic Socks. You can get it at cjpins.com or on Amazon. It's about CJ and his Magic Socks. Uh, just thinking he has more powers than he does. and But obviously it's not the socks. It's just him uh, working hard and uh, being dedicated to the sport. What are the Lakers going to do? Hopefully uh, win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How far can they go? They can win it all, I think. Really? Yeah, I think so, yeah. 
they get the with the trades they made. I think they got what they need at least just to get to where they need to get to. Somebody get that soundbite to LeBron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, LeBron, bring the team to Vegas. Let me let me work for you. <laughs> well, we appreciate you coming in studio. Thank you appreciate so much, CJ you. and his Magic Socks. Thanks to CJ Watson, a local former NBA player, for coming in to ESPN Las Vegas. Keep it locked right here. Cofield and Company will return in minutes on ESPN Las Vegas. Yeah, no panic in the voices of uh, the leaders of this team. You heard from Mark Stone earlier, Jack Eichel, and uh, Butchie, Bruce Cassidy. It's Willie, it's Cofield. So I'm watching the game last night at home. You guys are all at the game, and I hear the voice of uh, Roxy Bernstein. Roxy did a really good job on this one. Roxy, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, Steve. What's going on, man? Well, you know what? I'm going to have to admit something here. I didn't know you did a ton of hockey. That's my fault. But uh, I was, I'm not going to say pleasantly surprised, but how much hockey have you done in your background? It's not brand new to you, but I thought you did a hell of a job. Thank you. I, it's it been a while, you know, ESPN got the rights back to hockey last year. And it's been a long time since I called a hockey game. I did some NHL for San Jose, about, you know, about 20 years ago. Um, I've done some games here and there, but nothing consistent. And then when ESPN got the rights again, they... We had conversations about me coming aboard the NHL team, so I did some games last year, and then I did a handful of games regular season this year, and they had me do actually the NCAA tournament, uh, regional and Elite Eight, essentially leading into the Frozen Four, and then put me on uh, a playoff game, hoping to get some more. We'll see how things shake out, but that was that was fun last night. I mean, I know it wasn't the result that Vegas fans wanted, but just a great environment to be there at the Fortress to take in a playoff game. And it was cool to call a Stanley Cup playoff game last night. Yeah, like I said, you guys did a really good job. The analysis was you know, pretty blunt. It was good. And then I thought throwing down to the sidelines, I don't know how much Elko has done sidelines, but she was very pointed too. And, you know, coaches aren't always in a great mood to speak, but Elko got a lot out of them. And she, that's the thing. She's got those relationships, Steve. Having done this, but like people recognize her from Sports Center, and she's done so many things over the years. Her first passion in sports is hockey, and I think it shows in her knowledge and the respect she has for the players and those conversations she has with them. So she provided a unique perspective as well last night, just being down at ice level and talking to both coaches, both Bruce Cassidy and Rick Bonus during the game. Uh, pre-game, we had a chat with Jack Eichel. So it, it really it was a unique group to be a part of, and it was a pleasure for me to work with Linda. I'd never worked with her before, watched her for years, of course, and have so much admiration for her and what she's accomplished at Trailblazer, all those years in Sports Center, and just a legendary figure in our business. So between working with her, and I've worked with Kevin Weeks before, Kevin is awesome. He is such a likable guy, such an engaging personality, colorful, funny, uh, just a joy to be around. So that was a really pleasurable crew to work with and call that game with last night. Once again, speaking with ESPN play-by-play broadcaster Roxy Bernstein was on the call last night at T-Mobile here on Cofield and Company, ESPN Las Vegas. You know, real quick, before I get to the game, Roxy, I want to ask you, because you mentioned Nelco and you talk about like what she brings. A lot of times people, they not that they look down on the sideline reporter, but it's like they're the extra, the third person. Steve's about to jump me, by the way, because he does sideline reporting. But <laughs> in a situa- in the many situations, the guys or the people, I should say, in the booth learn just as much from the person that's down there. And those people that are down there are down there for a reason beyond 
what the broadcast booth can bring you. What did you possibly learn in those three hours from Linda Cohn? Well, she provides a different perspective because she is at ice level. She's seeing it differently, and she's providing an access that we don't have in terms of being down there on the ice level. Um, I think the story that she presented about Connor Hellebuck and his uh, children's book that he wrote to try to help kids deal with some depression and some tough things that they're going through, and he was open when we talked to him after their practice at T-Mobile Arena on Monday, just about some of his struggles that he's been through. That was really interesting to me. Um, And just adding on the whole Mark Stone flavor about what it's like for him in terms of coming back from the back injury, having been out since the middle of January. And then the interview that she did pregame with Jack Eichel in terms of his emotions, his feelings about, about to take the ice for his first Stanley Cup playoff game. And, so I think those things that she brought are just as valuable as anything that we could do. And we're, we're a team. We're working together. It's like, okay, you know, we're, you know, it's a five-on-three penalty kill, and we're the three trying to kill off the penalty, right? We're working in unison trying to make it the best product that we can. What did you guys see with the Knights' power play? Because, man, that was uninspiring. Yeah, it, it was – look, it, it hasn't been great as we know recently – and we put up the numbers, like since Mark Stone went out, that Vegas is scoring just 13% of the time. And the last seven games of the regular season, they were just two for 19 with the man advantage. But it just, overall, Steve, their game in general, I didn't see that sense of urgency last night. And that's, I think, the frustrating thing if you're Vegas. It's game one of a playoff. This isn't a game against the Arizona Coyotes in February, right? This is game one of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And to come out and lay an egg like they did, I think it has to be really frustrating. But here's the other thing. We know how good they are and they can be. It wasn't an accident. They had the most points in the Western Conference and franchise record 111 points. I expect a completely different look from Vegas tomorrow night. I, I the You know what I took from it, Roxy, is is I'm, I'm watching this and, and here's a team that I don't know how much people really expected from them. For the first time, we saw them sort of slip down the odds at the beginning of the season, not necessarily favored to win, uh, maybe not win the Pacific Division. They're certainly not the Western Conference or the Stanley Cup. They raced to the number one seed. They clinched the playoff berth March 30th. Winnipeg, they just clinched one week ago today. So yesterday it had been less than a week. This team from Winnipeg came in in playoff mode. The Golden Knights look just overly complacent. Well, and you're also, uh, this is not your typical eight seed as far as I look at them, guys, because if you look at the trend this year from the Jets, right, you go back to the middle of January, 45 games in to the season, yep. they were on top of the Western Conference. So this is not like a team that, okay, just squeaked in somehow and backdoored their way into the playoffs. Now that they hit a bump in the road, they dealt with some injuries, and they had some struggles. But then toward the end of the year, they made some tweaks. They made the moves to get in Domestikov and Niederreiter, the acquisitions, who aren't those sexy pickups, but they were depth guys that, especially with Domestikov, that Rick Bonus had a relationship with previously. And they helped right the ship for Winnipeg in those last, seven, eight games, and I was talking to Josh Morrissey about this on Monday, they righted the ship. They found their game again. 
And I think that's something that you can't overlook. And, yes, Vegas should be the favorite. They are on top of the Western Conference coming into the playoffs. But this isn't your typical eight seed. And Winnipeg is a dangerous team, especially. Look, they didn't need Connor Hellebuck to steal the game last night. But there's always that potential because he's one of the elite goaltenders in the game. Roxy Bernstein's with us here on ESPN Las Vegas. He was on the TV call of the Golden Knights game last night at the Fortress. What do you make of six of the eight home teams losing in the first go-round here? Fluke? Is there something to it? I think it's just a Stanley Cup playoff, Steve. I really do. Okay. That it's just the way it is right now. There's such a thin margin for error in in the NHL. And I think what the league is going for, maybe similar to what the NFL is, in terms of more parity and balance. And I think we have it. I think the salary cap plays into it. Uh, but it shouldn't come as a surprise. Like, I, Okay, the hometown crowd is great, and we know how passionate they can be and how loud and intimidating it can be at times, especially at a place like the Fortress. And I'm anxious to see what the crowd's going to be like when the Kraken host their first playoff game coming up in Game 3 after beating Colorado last night. But I just think... I don't put much stock in a home ice advantage, especially in the playoffs. I really don't. Sometimes you feel a little bit more pressure when you're at home, right? Because, like last night, the way the first period played out, scoreless after one, Winnipeg, to me, was clearly the better team in the first period, but they just didn't score. But you, you got the sense that all of that energy and all that excitement at the start of the night turned into nervous energy mm-hmm. as the game won. And I think that weighs on the players, too. Don't you guys kind of get that feeling when – that happens, and a team starts yes. pressing a little bit at home yes. and trying to make that extra pass and try to be too cute. I, I think that plays into it and why there were some of the struggles for Vegas yeah. last well, night. These, uh, the fans here are rough, man. They, they, were, they were given upset darlings in year one, almost won a Stanley Cup. The standard is extremely high. They know, in spite of the 111 points, that the power play hasn't been good. One of our regulars came in an hour too, and he's a fan. You know, He was saying... What was with the fans booing on power plays, like, basically from the beginning of the game? Chill out. But that's that's what Vegas is. I mean, we've got super high standards with this team. And, look, they've been to the conference final three times in in their franchise history already. Yeah. As you alluded to, the success that they've had. And it, it was weird. Kevin Weeks and I talked about this last night. I don't know if you were listening at this point. Oh, yeah, I heard team, it. I heard but it. Yeah. When we were talking about how that was the first kind of normal playoff game back in Vegas. Right, since COVID, because they weren't in the postseason last year. 21 was still the weird COVID year. We didn't play outside of the divisions, and then Montreal was the opponent in the conference final, uh, or they, as they called them, the NHL semifinals that year. Yeah. And the year before that was in the bubble. Yeah. So this was the essentially first normal home game in a playoff format. For Vegas, it's game six against San Jose back in 2019. Yeah, that's a great point. And, uh, you know, as you said earlier, in terms of, you know, the broadcasting, you're hoping, you know, you get the, get more calls as the playoffs continue. So, yeah, you're obviously keeping an eye on things league-wide. Um, you can look at this two ways. Either the home, game, home teams are two and six or the road teams are are 6 and 2. <laughs> Hockey's a different breed though, uh Roxy, Ho- uh, hockey's different. It's not that surprising when you think about it, is it? No, and you know, how many times have we seen an 8 seed come through and win like the LA Kings did a number of years ago? And it's because it's just a different game. You get a hot goaltender, 
You get lucky bounces, injuries along the way. That's why this is, to me, without a doubt, the hardest trophy to win in sports is to win 16 games and lift the Stanley Cup. It's the hardest because so many things have to go your way. And the sacrifice that some people make, like, for example, what Morgan Barron went through last night, oh right, takes that right near the eye, catches the blade of the skate of the Rambrosois, and he had to get 75 stitches. He comes back with a cage on, and he comes back in the second period after getting sutured up. And it's, it's remarkable what these players go through over the next two months to try to win the Stanley Cup and how much it means. And I think that also plays in to why it's so difficult to win because people are willing to sacrifice, give everything up just to get a victory or make even a small play to advance to the next round. So it's going to be a challenge. And is it the road teams winning or is the home teams losing? Look, I thought Minnesota stole game one in Dallas. I thought the Kings stole game one in Edmonton. Winnipeg didn't steal that game last night. The Jets were the better team last night. Let's see what happens tomorrow because I'm fully anticipating an inspired performance by the Golden Knights. Roxy Bernstein, let's close it out here on ESPN Las Vegas. Uh, he was on the call of the VGK game last night. I always like to lean on you for some Northern California clarifications, some updates. My Lord, the A's lost again today. They lost Shocking, twelve. They it? lost twelve to two. They lost the Tampa series thirty three five, and I was crowing about that. Like my God, they lost the Cubs series twenty six to three. What is the vibe in the area? Because no one's showing up. Like, what do you think the the A's want? Do they just do they want to deflate all excitement in the area and just get the hell out? Is it just done there? It's not done, but it's clear the talent level needs to be upgraded. Um, and I don't think I'm overstating it right there at all. It's really frustrating, and the crowd, it, the the fans aren't coming. It's not because of the product on. In a way, it's a product on the field in the ballpark. It's there, there are passionate A's fans here, Steve. It's them standing up to owner, owner John Fisher. It's what it is. It's their form of a protest. That's why they're not going. Because he's not spending the money on the players and on the roster. He is pocketing the revenue sharing. And when the study came out a few weeks ago, the A's were one of the most profitable teams in Major League Baseball. Because John Fisher was taking that money and putting it in his pocket. And he's not investing it back into the team. And that's the problem. And the, and the A's fans aren't dumb. They know what's been going on, and they've been paying attention to it. Now, some of the moves they've made have not worked as far as hoping to bring back some uh, Major League-ready players when they traded Matt Olson and, and Sean Murphy to Atlanta, when they unloaded Matt Chapman to Toronto, and they traded Chris Bassett. And all these moves they made, there was plenty of talent but it's just the return hasn't equaled what they gave up, and I think that has also played into some of the apathy from the fan base right now because of what's been going on with the team and ownership not willing to spend money. Roxy, last 30 seconds. We appreciate it all the time. Uh, Cal guy, you happy with uh, Mad Dog? A little bit weird, right? Mad a little bit dog. weird with Mad- Madsen. Already got some momentum with some transfers. I, I like it. I, I think, what, Steve, this, this program needed infusion of life. And some energy. And that's what Mark's going to provide. He is a great guy, as you guys know. 
if you don't like Mark Madsen, there's something wrong with you. So he's commanding that, and this is a program that it needs an infusion of talent. He's doing that as well. It's clear that they're headed in the right direction. Roxy, you're the best. We appreciate you stepping up. Thank you. Anytime, guys. Take care. Can't wait to watch that one tomorrow night. There he is. Longtime voice. West Coast Sports, doing hockey for ESPN as well. Big part of the uh, Pac-12 programming. Well, mentioning Cal basketball and the, the transfers because they needed an infusion of talent, the Bears did. UNLV, I think, has been sitting on a couple of commits for a few days, but we mentioned that yesterday in the 5 o'clock hour. A couple of them came through, so we'll tell you on the back who uh, Kevin Kruger got commits from today. Join Cofield and Company live every Thursday at the William Hill Race and Sportsbook. Weekly giveaways and awesome game day food and drink specials. Thursdays, 3 to 6 p.m. at the William Hill Race and Sportsbook inside Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Well, I just mentioned Major League Baseball, and a couple of the aviators got called up to the A's, and unfortunately they're walking into... Uh, what is a talent void? Hmm. But Mason Miller and uh, the infielder Diaz are the number three and four prospects in the organization, so they're going to get a chance to play, and hopefully they can help the A's a little bit. But my Lord, the A's lost again today to the Cubs. I think the Cubs are improved, but they ain't 26-3 to improved. They won the series 26-3. to 12-2 to today. Miller started, third-round pick in 2021. He went out and he threw uh, four and a third, four hits, two runs, five Ks, a walk, did not give up a home run. Uh, As I mentioned, Diaz, Jordan Diaz, infielder, one for two. Wow. I know Rob Manfred doesn't care, and I know my griping every day about the bottom of baseball gets old. But are you seeing some of the scores with the worst teams in baseball? The teams that simply are not trying? I swear every day the A's give up 10-plus runs. The Royals are now 4-15. and 15. They got friggin' smoked today. And you look down the lineup, you're like, the, the mix of like 28-year-old rookies and 34-year-old guys who you know should be the last three guys on a roster, it's amazing. I don't know how these markets do it. The Oakland A's are three and sixteen with a run differential of minus eighty six. That's insane. Minus eighty six. So uh the the Rockies are now five and fourteen. This is the third team. You're in Denver. And by the way, Oakland's not a small market. Uh the Rockies have now lost it's eight in a row. Hmm. They lost to the Pirates in a series in Colorado. This, this one was 33-9. I mean, this is – come on. Come on. It makes you wonder. You mentioned call-ups like, Jesus, do I really want to get called up? Well, you know what? You want to be like the guys that Roxy Bernstein just mentioned. You want to be like Sean Murphy, right? And the sad thing is – they bring up a good prospect, and then before they even pay him, they're like, okay, we got three years out of him. A fourth is coming up. Let's just move him. It's got max value. You just – I mean, at that point, it's an individual sport. Just try to impress. Try to do a good job for three years, and you get moved. You get moved to someone you know, as a quality organization, and then you make your money. 
The Royals, you mentioned the Royals, they're four and fifteen, run differential minus fifty-one. Rockies, five and fourteen, run differential minus fifty-one. So combined, Colorado Do the math. Oakland over one eighty and Kansas City it, is one oh two is one eighty eight. Minus one eighty eight, they're three teams run <laughs> differential. Less than twenty games into the season. Yes. Holy moly. Yes. All three teams have played 19 games. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Uh, good news for running Rebel fans. It's been rumored, you know, after they had some visits over the weekend, that they were going to get some transfer portal guys from the Big 12. That's been a theme, right? Royce Ham was very good. Donovan Williams, very good. A couple of years ago, last year, Harkless was excellent, one of the best pure scorers in the conference. And Kevin Kruger, along with John Cooper. Remember, John Cooper spent some time at Oklahoma State. So they just finalized the commits of the Boone brothers, who are 6'8 and 6'9", both toolsy, you know, face-the-basket, kind of hybrid 3'4s. Okay. They just got commits from those guys. Um, Caleb and Kaylin started at Oklahoma State. Caleb Boone moved on to Pacific and averaged about 14 and 4, shot 40% from 3. Caleb just played another year in the Big Ten. He averaged about 10.5 points a game. And Jalen Hill is the one I think people are really excited about. The Boom Brothers are great. But Jalen Hill, UNLV really wanted him coming out of high school. And Kevin Kruger and Carlin Hartman beat out Marvin Menzies and company. And I know you had talked to, you know, the the the, the basketball community with the fathers here is very tight. And you had told me last week that there was a real push here from the family side of things with Jalen, come back home for one final year. Yeah. Yeah, no, that you know, all the dads keep in touch with one another. So now that it's now that it's official, um, do those do those dads do do those dads keep in touch with the dads of now, like Dan Thomas? Because they they all need. To, oh yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. Hey, my, my, by the way, my yeah, son's right, coming back. Right, right, like right, right. Lee Strother, Julian, that didn't happen. You know, he never came back. But boy, yeah, and, and they, not they, only they, that, they, that's the victory because these are three big victories. I'm telling you, Jalen Hill especially was contacted by just about every big boy around the country, and he's going to come home for the run of Rebels, DJ Thomas would be such a infusion of energy. But, I mean, the battle for him is so, so tough. It's huge nationwide. Uh, the one the one steal that I think is he, this kid's going to be a grab in two years who's up at – he's going to Utah Tech is Kaspar's Kambala's biological son um, – Angelo Cambala out of Liberty. His stepfather is Cliff Reed, who played at Rancho and was a nemesis, a thorn in UNLV side when he played at New Mexico State, the Aggies back in the day for Neil McCarthy when they were all Big West rivals. That's actually his stepdad. So um, would love to see Angelo come back after a couple of years at Utah Tech. So good day. Good day. We'll keep you updated if you go up to UNLV All Access on all the transfer portal stuff, all the recruiting stuff, especially on the football side. That's going to get crazy now. Basketball, that's three players in the fold. They still have multiple openings. Got to shore up the point guard position. I would think with at least one veteran, if not two, if it's not DJ Thomas. So some work to be done. But getting three players like this, Hill and the Boone brothers. It's a start. Good start. And, you know, keep in mind, Lou Rod is back, who's kind of that similar hybrid 3-4. So... Hopefully going into the year, this is always the hope. Bigger, stronger. They still need a couple of rim protectors, so we'll see what they come up with. But really good start for Kevin Kruger 
and running Rebel Basketball. Thanks to C.J. Watson for coming in. Also, our buddy Justin Watkins for Willie, Ferrari, Cofield. We'll see you.